Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. I have a question for you. Why does God love you? Now, it is a reality, dear saints, that God loves you. This is simply the declaration of the scriptures, and that that love takes a particular shape. God loved the world in this way that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ dies for us. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and made himself as the propitiation for our sins. We'll, we'll come back to that word in a minute. The question is, why? Why does God love you? We, we know what the answer should be, depending on how we've been taught. But we also know the answer that we want to give. I'm a good person. I do good things. I go to church, I pray, I tithe, I serve on a committee, I serve in the community, I serve in my home. Those are good. You should do those things. You should go to church and pray and tithe and serve. But is that why God loves you? We had in the Old Testament reading this account of Cain and Abel, and we might want to clear something up with this because there's a tendency to read this in the wrong way, that usually how this goes, you've probably heard this, is that the reason why God has regard for Abel's offering and not for Cain's offering is because Abel offered the first fruits of his flock, and Cain offered something else, like the the lesser amount. That's not in the text, though. Now, if it wasn't anywhere else, we'd just have to guess, but Hebrews gives us the answer. By faith, Abel offered a more pleasing sacrifice to God. The reason why God has regard for Abel's offering and not Cain's is because Cain's an unbeliever already. That happened pretty quick. First generation. Firstborn, in fact. But Abel has faith, and he offers his sacrifice in faith. God has regard for him, not because of the offering, but because of faith. God does not love us. This is maybe the first point on this. God does not love us because we are good people. God loves us because of Christ. 
in our trust in what Christ has done. God loves us because through the death of Christ, our sins are covered with his blood, and we are redeemed, and we are declared righteous by faith. The second issue with our answer, though, and maybe the deeper issue, God loves me because I'm good and do good things, is that we're not good. You remember when, when the man comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The very first thing Jesus responds with is, why do you call me good? God alone is good. And St. Paul echoes the opposite of this. In Romans, quoting the psalm, where he says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one seeks after God. No one does good. Not even one. And you can almost hear like the, the argument as Paul's laying this out, the people responding, saying, well, isn't there one, Paul? One person? No. Not one. And this is maybe the greatest offense that comes to us in this parable that Jesus tells of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Because we want to see ourselves in the good works of the Pharisee, and we want to see ourselves in the confession of the tax collector, and we cannot have it both ways. Either we confess with the Pharisee that God loves us because of all the good things that we've done, or we confess with the tax collector that God loves me through the blood of Jesus. Now, th this is one of the odd things about sin. I I've said this in a number of the, the studies. Sin makes us dumb. It, it kind of works this way. If you go out and you go to play a round of golf after having just uh, downed a bottle of tequila, two things are going to happen. One, you're probably not going to finish the course. And two, you're going to think you're the best golfer who ever existed. That's what sin does to us. We don't realize how bad we are that we're just shanking the ball off into the rough every single time. And we also are calling everybody over to see how awesome we are. All of our good works. And especially ourselves. We like to brag to ourselves. This is what happens with the Pharisee. It's not entirely clear in the English, but when the Pharisee comes, he talks to himself. He prays amongst himself. So we might just ask the question when he says, God, I thank you, who exactly he thinks God is in his mind. But he says, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, extortioners, the unjust, adulterers, or like this tax collector back here. But he is. He's exactly like all those other people. He's exactly like the tax collector. None is righteous, himself included. He just doesn't realize it. Now, this, this, is, this is where we bristle at this a bit. 
Because since we come into this thinking that we are intrinsically good people and we do good things, when the commandments get set in front of us and say, no, you're not, you haven't kept these, not one. Our gut reaction is not to say, you're right, have mercy on me. Our gut reaction is to say, well, that's not really what those mean. And we redefine God's law to suit our sins so that we would not be found guilty. Because we think that the worst thing that could happen is that we would be found guilty according to God's law. But we're going to see that, in fact, is the best thing that can happen. The Pharisee comes and he says this other thing, I fast twice a day, I give tithes of all that I have. Now we should look at this and we say, well, yeah, it would be a good thing to not be an extortioner. You should, if you don't know this, you should not be an extortioner. You should not be greedy for unjust gain. This is, this is an entire poke into the eye of the tax collector because that's exactly what tax collectors did. The tax collectors in the Roman world would come and they would collect all these taxes and they would add a little bit on top so that they had all this extra income. That Rome, the, the Roman emperor wasn't asking for that. They just added it. They were extorting the people. It's also good to fast. Jesus expects it of us. When you fast, do it this way. Jesus expects us to give. He says, when you give, give this way. But two things are also true with that. One, we are not justified by those things. God does not love us because of those things. Those things flow from love. And two, that's not what the Pharisee is saying. Fasting twice a day is not in the law. It's part of the Mishnah. We've talked about this one before. This is the one, it's got my favorite part where the guy's eating an apple and he holds his arm out the window and then the sun goes down on the Sabbath and then you have to decide whether or not you can bring the apple in the house or drop it on the ground and apparently you can do neither. You just have to wait there with your hand holding an apple out the window for a day. Because if you bring it in, it's delivering goods on the Sabbath. If you drop it, it could plant and you're working on the Sabbath. But they had all these other things like you can walk 100 steps on the Sabbath or like you can spit on a rock but not on a ground. Because if you spit on the ground, you might be watering. Right? All these things. Right? And it was trying to make the law doable. That's what the Pharisee is talking about here. But the most important thing is what he doesn't say. He never once mentions Jesus, either implicitly or explicitly. This confession of the Pharisee has no need of Jesus whatsoever. We have then the converse set before us in this very simple but beautiful prayer. The tax collector stands in the back and beats his breast and will not lift up his eyes to the heavens and simply prays, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, we need a little bit of background on this. One, to remember that tax collectors, the reason why it is the example of a tax collector here is this is the lowest of the low. If you remember, tax collectors are often paired with prostitutes in the Gospels. It's the bottom of the sinners. Also, tax collectors, like we mentioned, are the extortioners of this group, of this world. If you've ever, Zac Zacchaeus is like the, this hero in the faith. 
And I think we miss something with him. That Zacchaeus gives this promise to the Lord to pay back everything sevenfold. Which should make us wonder exactly how much Zacchaeus has been extorting the people of Israel that he can give that much back. That's who this tax collector is. He is not a good man in any sense, either externally or internally. But he knows it. He knows who he is. He knows he stands under God's law. And he knows, most importantly, that there is not a thing that he can do about it. And so he beats his breast and he prays, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Except he doesn't use the word mercy. I think I've mentioned this before. I don't know. He uses the word for propitiate. He uses the word for the mercy seat. If you remember this, in the Old Testament, you have the Holy of Holies there, and you have the Ark of the Covenant that has the manna and the staff and the Ten Commandments, the law, and you have seated upon that the cherubim with their wings going forward, and then you've got the, uh, the seat that God would sit on, the mercy seat. And this is where the blood on the Day of Atonement would be poured for the atonement, the forgiveness, the covering of the blood of the sins of the people by the blood of the sacrifice. And these men are in the temple praying. This is what we need to see in our minds when we hear this. That this man has his head bowed down, is beating his breast, and he has his arm outstretched, and he is pointing to the altar, and he's saying, God, I can't cover my sin, but that blood can. That sacrifice can cover my blood. And you have promised that it does. Keep your word. God, cover my sins, for I am a sinner. And at the end of the day, this parable sets us into God's courtroom. And it asks us what plea we offer, guilty or not guilty. The Pharisee offers this plea, I'm not guilty. And the tax collector offers the opposite plea, I am guilty. Forgive me. The Pharisee has no need of Jesus. The tax collector only needs Jesus. That's the difference. And it is the Lord's delight then, dear saints, to give this to you as well. That every time you come into church, that is what's happening. You are coming into the courtroom of God to offer a plea, guilty or not guilty. And you've offered that plea already, whether you realize you did this or not, at the very beginning of the service. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. And then we offer a variation of be merciful. For the sake of your dear son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Propitiate us. Cover us with your blood. 
Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. And while you have the evidence of all your sins standing against you in this courtroom and you cannot deny it, the Lord comes and he just places his blood over it. And it is covered. And it is forgiven. And it is removed from the face of God. He does not hold it against you anymore. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. It doesn't matter its name. It is forgiven. Every single thing that you've done, every single thing that you've left undone, every thought, every word, every deed, covered, forgiven, died for by Jesus. That's his promise. They are propitiated. So we stand with the tax collector, not denying our sins, but instead pointing to Jesus and saying, God, I can't do anything about this, but you can and you have and you have promised that it is mine by faith. And we hold the Lord to his word. That by his death, he says to that prayer, yes, let it be done for you as you believe. And you've heard that yes as well. As I called and ordained servant of the word, and by his authority, I forgive you all your sins. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's done. You are propitiated and forgiven. And you, as Jesus has promised, go down to your house justified, made right with God. He smiles upon you. He loves you. Not because of what you've done, not because you're a good person, but because Christ alone is good for you and has given you that gift. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.